0: morning, Journey. Nice to see you all. My name's Chris. I am really glad to be here with you, honored in fact that it allowed me to share with all of you. I mean, on some level, you didn't have a choice, but on some level, you did as well, so uh, just glad to be here on behalf of all of us. What we're doing today is we're continuing our investigation of what the kingdom of God is like. And what we've been doing is we've been following the trajectory of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, After he's resurrected from the dead, we watched him interact with his followers, and then he ascended to be with the Father in heaven, and that's where we were last week. And so today we find ourselves at the point in which Jesus has left and his Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. This inaugurates the church, his body of followers. And so that'll overlap with this idea that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in Jesus on earth through the church. And so that's what we're looking at. So before we turn back next week and we start kind of at the outset of Jesus's ministry in which he announces the kingdom of God, we'll kind of wrap up this timeline trajectory we're on and we'll find ourselves in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And it's in this chapter of the book of Acts that the church is unleashed as a Holy Spirit movement. So we're going to pay attention to that specifically. I'm going to read to us in Acts 2, 1 through 12, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just make our way through the entire second chapter of the book of Acts. You'll find, in fact, that I'm not saying much at all. I'm just telling you what's on the page, which might beg the question, why did you come? Because you could have read it yourself, and it's because we have the beauty of gathering together and moving through it together. So that's what we'll do. So here we are, Acts 2, verse 1, let me read, and then I'll pray for us. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. What can this mean? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of gathering here today. We thank you that you are a God who is relational to the core and that you long for us to be with you and to be with one another. And so as we gather here today, we welcome you among us. We invite your Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us, to transform us and make us more like your son, Jesus. I pray that whatever it is we might bring with us into this place this morning that would keep us from hearing from you, that we would just set that humbly before you this morning, Lord. And we would open up our eyes and we would open up our hearts and we would open up our minds to receive what it is you have for us, God. Speak to us, be present with us, God, I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning, that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to do, God, but instead we would elevate you, we would lift you up, and we would glorify you in our time here this morning. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that teaches us, and we thank you that we can open up the scriptures and enter in to the story you've been writing from the beginning of creation. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've spent a lot of time growing up in the the church. I've been around the church a long time. and, And something that those of us who've been around the church for maybe an extended period of time have heard often is that the goal is to be what we call the Acts 2 church. And so often we, we use language we're like, Yeah, we need to be an Acts two church. And so we're going to move through the entire book of Acts or chapter of Acts Two here and you'll you'll find out what that means. But I think what's happened to me as I've grown up in this movement and this desire to be the Acts 2 church is that we've missed a key component of what actually makes up the Acts 2 church. What we've often focused on or what I felt like we've focused on is the last five verses, 42 through 47 of Acts 2, where we have this ideal community of how we would interact together and be together and worship together. But there's some things that happen before we get to that in which we just read about, where the Holy Spirit falls on the followers of Jesus as they're gathered together and this movement is unleashed that I think we have had a tendency to overlook. And so I want us to to wade into that and maybe redefine what it means for us to be the quote-unquote Acts 2 church. Because what happens is when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he doesn't mean that we should pray for it to come into existence. It's already there. Rather, what he means is that we pray for it to take over all the points in the personal, social, and political order in which the kingdom is now excluded. That's why we pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so with a prayer that, like this that Jesus is teaching us about his kingdom, what we're doing is, is we're invoking it and in faith we're acting it into the reality of our daily existence. The kingdom is present now. The New Testament shows us over and over and over again that the kingdom isn't something that is accepted. You don't accept the kingdom of God and enjoy it later. Rather, it's something you enter into in the now. And so I want that to serve as kind of like the frame with which we'll enter into Acts 2 this morning. The frame is that we enter into the kingdom of God and so walk through that frame as we experience this powerful story of what God is up to with the early followers in Acts 2. So we're going to enter into the story. And again, every time we read scripture, my hope and my prayer and my challenge to us is that we don't just let it exist like some flat words on a page, right? We have a tendency to do that where we take the life out of them, step into it, experience this story with those who are experiencing it as I read it, be a part of it, find yourself in it, pay attention to it in that way. So here's what happens. Jesus has just ascended and left the early followers, the early believers, and he says, hey, just sit tight until my Holy Spirit comes and brings you power. So here's where we pick it up. Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Just imagine being present in that room at this time. They can't even describe, Luke who's writing the book of Acts can't even describe it. He just has to use a bunch of similes and metaphors. It was like a windstorm. It was like fire. We're not sure how to describe it. And at this time, in Jerusalem, there were devout Jews from every nation living there. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. It was such a noise. It was such a a shaking that happened that it wasn't like people down the street were like, I'll catch that on the news. I'll be sure to check the report tomorrow, see what happens. It was the kind of sound that sent you running to figure out what was going on. You had to assess this for yourself. And so all these people, show up and they were completely amazed how can this be they exclaimed these people are from all Galilee and yet here we hear them speaking in our own native languages all of those countries I read earlier represented and they said and all we hear these people speaking in our own languages is about the wonderful things that God has done and just let that sink in for a second You come running up on this whole experience in which you hear a sound and you show up there and all of these people who'd been gathered there are speaking in your language, but they're not just mumbling, it's not just mumbo jumbo, they're telling about the wonderful things that God has done. That's how you can identify a move of the spirit that people are talking about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there, amazed and perplexed, what can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And I love it at this point, we come to the grips, like there's reality in fact that that anytime the kingdom of God is on the move and active and present, there is another kingdom at work against it. And in this very moment, when all kinds of crazy stuff is happening, there's still people trying to call into question what it is God is up to at this time and in this place. Certainly this couldn't be a move of God. They must just be drunk. So imagine you're there. You were in that room. You just experienced all of this. And now all these people, the crowd keeps filling in, filling in. And you're experiencing this yourself. And here we see, early on, right, the kingdom of God is like a Holy Spirit-empowered, multi-ethnic movement. All the tribes and tongues are already being drawn together. The picture of what the church is to be and to become. And as they're all talking about it, questioning what this means, Peter steps forward. We've spent a few weeks talking about Peter. Bob's given us a pretty good background of all of the wildness with which Peter lived his life. And Peter is the one who steps forward to preach and share. And I want you to hear his words like those gathered there would have heard it. So I didn't put it on your notes page. I don't have it up on the screens. I want you to hear it and I want you to imagine you're gathered there now with this crowd and Peter steps forward and you're listening to him preach. And so he steps forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, which again, I think just gives us a great picture of some of the chaos that's going on, right? They did not give Peter a microphone, right? That, that was not an option. So all these people are murmuring about what's happening. This ginormous sound has, has taken place. People are being filled with the spirit. And so Peter shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, listen carefully. All of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Yeah, right? Like Peter just like slides a little joke in. They're like, okay, I'm listening, you know. Changes it up. He says, no. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And now Peter... Like a good preacher is going to quote scripture and read from the text. He says, here's what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen, Peter said. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. So imagine what that would feel like in the crowd. As Peter's telling you this. And then he says, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. And then in verse 32, he brings it all together and he says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Can you just imagine being captured in this moment of all that's happening and hearing these words from Peter. Cutting words, challenging words, but hopeful words. So how did the people respond? It said, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Are our hearts pierced by the words of Peter here? And they said to him and the other disciples, brothers, what should we do? Because when you hear something like that and you experience something like that, you want to know what you're supposed to do next. You're not just like, oh, cool message and you leave. What do we do next? And here's what Peter said. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. It's for you, it's for your children and all those far away. You know who that's for? That's for everyone. For all that have been called by the Lord our God. What a pivotal moment. Because not only this experience that they had As they were gathered together, not only this sermon that was preached and then the response that followed, all of that is the shoulders with which we stand on here in this room today. Because of what the Holy Spirit unleashed at this moment in these followers, that inaugurated the church that we are a part of to this day. And I think there's something so unique and powerful about the way that Peter ends his sermon. Because Peter took these words from who? Jesus. Always the right answer. Just shout it out, right? Jesus. He took them from Jesus. He says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is it that Jesus says in Mark 1 at the outset of his ministry? He says, repent and believe the good news for the kingdom is at hand. Or in Matthew's account, Jesus is baptized and as he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him and then the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness and when he comes out of the wilderness... And he begins his preaching ministry and his healing ministry. He says what? Repent. Turn from your sins for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the message that Peter and the apostles had been hearing the whole time they were following Jesus. Repent. Turn back to God. The kingdom is taking place. Enter into the kingdom with us. And so how did they respond? What did they do? It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So what happens after all of this? Like where does this lead us? Or maybe more to the point in our present day, how are we to live in light of this? in light of what we've read in Acts 2 up to this point? How do we live in light of the falling of the Holy Spirit, the call to repent and turn to God, the reminder that Jesus' resurrection is a promise for all his kingdom citizens in the new creation? What do we do? Well, here's what Luke, the author of Acts, offers us at the end of Acts 2. Now we get to what I've always been told is the desire to be the Acts 2 church. But a lot happened to get here. And here's what he says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Something happened before they were able to form this type of community they entered into the kingdom of god right the kingdom of god that is the rule and reign of god in jesus on the earth through the church and this kind of community is the kind of community we need to be on the lookout for we need to be forming these type of communities where they don't exist we've got to be committed to this type of community But we have to remember, it's not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit present in each follower of Jesus being unleashed in the movement. It's not possible unless we repent of the pursuit of our own kingdoms and turn back to God entering his kingdom, which is already here now, but not yet complete. If those things aren't happening, if those things aren't taking place then we have not the power to form the type of ideal community we often long for. And so as we turn to God and we enter his kingdom in the here and now, we, as N.T. Wright says, insist that the new life of the spirit, in obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ, should produce radical transformation of behavior in the present life anticipating the life to come, even though we know we shall never be complete and whole until then. Let's give God the last word of our preaching this morning. I wanna just give you some space to figure out what that means for you because this is a kind of sermon that ends with to be continued. What part do you want to play? What role will you have in this as you enter into the kingdom? So take a few moments with God and I'll close us here and lead us into communion. As you just continue to sit in a a posture of reflection and stillness, we kind of set the table, if you will, for us to receive communion here in a moment. So much of the kingdom life is to repent, to turn around and to repent of our sins is to simply choose another way. And that way is the sacrificial love of Jesus. To choose the way of the kingdom of God over the insufficient kingdoms we build in our own lives. And so to repent is to walk away from our self-made kingdoms and enter into the kingdom of God in which we live the way of following Jesus following his lead. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning and we receive communion, part of what we're saying we're doing is that we're literally standing up and physically walking towards the front and then let that be a decision to walk away from your self-made kingdoms, from the kingdoms of this world and literally walk towards the table where we receive Jesus, the loving embrace of Jesus through his body and his blood. We come to the table and we take the bread that represents the body of Jesus that was hung on the cross and we dip it in the wine or the juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And when we eat, we are saying that Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who makes us whole. Jesus is the head of our church. We enter into kingdom living with him. But not only do we humbly come and leave behind our earthly kingdoms, we come and we are filled. And we are filled with the body and blood of Jesus to walk away from the Lord's table now full of who he says we are to go and live as kingdom people in this world. Living out the promise that the kingdom is at hand much like the church in Acts 2 where all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's supper and to prayer so let me pray for us and then whenever you're ready you can come forward and receive communion you can either eat it here at the table or you can take it back to your seat one line down one side and you can head back down the other and we'll keep worshiping and singing together God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you that he didn't stay dead and that your Holy Spirit raised him to new life and that's the same spirit that now lives in us. And God, while it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around, I thank you that Jesus has ascended to be with you and left behind the gift of the Spirit. He says it's actually better for us this way because now each one of us are indwelt with your presence. And so God, I pray that we would go and live. We would walk out of this place as we enter into the kingdom of God. We would be emboldened by your Spirit. That we would live humbly just like your son Jesus that we would actively love this world and that we would continue to move away from the kingdoms we've built or the kingdoms that the world builds up to join you in building your kingdom, God. It's why we pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be so, God. To you be the glory. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.